This afternoon we confess together the Heidelberg Catechism, answer 96. What does God require in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God, nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded us in His word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that You are the one true God. You have made all things. You have redeemed Your people. You have revealed Yourself through the Scriptures which reveal Christ. Help us now to be attentive to Your Word as we hear it preached. May we understand rightly what worship is and how to honor You. And also, as always, help us to hear about our sin through the law and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Scripture lesson is found in Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Once again, that is Exodus 32, verses 1 through 14. Brothers and sisters, hear now the word of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, do know not what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that you have in your ears, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And he said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, down for your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. The Lord relented from the disaster 
that he had spoken of bringing honest people. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This afternoon we continue our series on an introduction to the Reformed faith and we treat in particular Reformed worship. According to the second commandment, the church may only worship God according to what he has commanded in his word. The result will be that God is honored, his people, that is Christians and non-Christians, will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This idea of right worship is contrasted, though, with many popular notions of entertaining and experiential worship. So notice how people evaluate churches today. Often you will hear the question, uh, what is your worship like at your church? And by this the person means, what is the music and the singing like? Worship to people's minds will often mean the praise band, uh, praise choruses, and the general atmosphere of the church service. And what is popular in our own particular day is lots of singing with catchy, upbeat tunes, lots of people up front singing, and sometimes slideshows and dancing, skits, and so on accompany these things. And so really, worship is seen as entertaining. And churches that sing ancient hymns and psalms and that are serious and reverent in the worship service are not very popular at all. In addition, though, we should make it clear that we understand worship as being the entire service, not just the singing, but the prayers of the people, uh, preaching, the sacraments, everything in the service is worship. Now, some will say that for many, the upbeat, happy, clappy service works for people and meets their needs where they're at. And for others, the more serious, staid types of worship work for them. And so the argument is, you know, there are different things for different tastes of people. And to be sure, people have lots of differences in tastes when it comes to music and presentation. But churches must ask a different question than these churches that design worship for people. So, in other words, many people are asking, what do people like? Uh, What can they relate to? What can they connect to? And these are the wrong questions to ask when you're designing a worship service. The right question is this. What does God like? And in fact, what does God demand? And the good result of such a question, answered rightly, is that people will be honored, or rather, I'm sorry, God will be honored, and people, Christian people, will be helped And actually, they will like what God has for them. Further, designing the worship service according to what God commands will have a profound impact or effect on non-Christians. And churches today will argue that contemporary upbeat music and a presentation that is fun and entertaining will appeal to non-Christians, drawing them in, making them feel comfortable, and engaging them. And of course, you know this from asking non-Christians what they like or studying what they like, what they're into. So as the argument goes, if you can connect with these unbelievers, this way you win them to Christ. After all, you get them into the church and then you tell them what is important in God's word. But Paul argues differently 
in 1 Corinthians 14. There, he says that worship done rightly, according to what God commands, results in the secrets of the unbeliever's heart being disclosed, that is the conviction of sin. And Paul goes on to say that he will fall on his face, he will worship God, and declare that God is really among you. So Paul argues that doing what God wants will result in winning people to Christ. And if anything, if churches design worship the way that people want and like, they'll have scorn heaped upon them. That is, people can understand when it's a sell job. Therefore, the church must ask God what He demands in His worship service. And this is what the second commandment is all about, right? The Heidelberg Catechism 96 interprets the second commandment this way. You shall not make any image of God, nor worship Him in any other way than He has commanded in His word. And so you do not ask what people like or want, You ask God what He likes or wants, if we could put it that way. And when we say that worship must be done according to what God commands, we call that the regulative principle of worship. Now, our scripture lesson is from Exodus chapter 32, a very fascinating account of wrong worship in the Old Testament. So let's look at this a little bit to understand exactly what was wrong with Israel's worship. And the church learns much today uh, from their bad example. So in context here, uh, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to receive God's written revelation, the law of God. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And understandably, the people are nervous. God's right there on the mountain. And uh, they're impatient. Where's this Moses guy that led us out of Egypt? And so the people order Aaron to make them gods. And Aaron fashions a golden calf, which the people then say led them out of Egypt. And then uh, Aaron makes an altar, sets up an altar before the golden calf, uh, and invites worship before this calf. And then, while this is going on on top of Mount Sinai, God relates this incident to Moses and says that he has had it with these people and will judge them. At this point, uh, as a good mediator, uh, Moses implores God to relent from his judgment. And how does he do this? He uh, appeals to God's prior promises to his people. He says, God, please relent from your judgment ultimately in these people. And God does relent. Now, when you hear this account, it is obvious that Israel has broken the first commandment. And kids, what does the first commandment say? You shall have no other gods before me. You can't worship other gods. There's only one God. You have to worship Yahweh, right? They clearly break that commandment. But more deeply, or at the same time, they also break the second commandment. What does the second commandment say, kids? It says, you shall make no images of God. That's a shortened form of the the commandment. You shall make no images of God. And you say, well, they're not... Uh, they broke, broke the first commandment, but how exactly do they break the second commandment? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism helps us to understand that worshiping God in the wrong way is breaking the second commandment in part. Yes, you can't make images of God. That breaks his commandment. But also, it's about worship. God wishes to be worshipped his way, the way in which he commands. Well, how do we understand that from this text? 
again, very interesting points here. When uh, Moses is gone too long, what do the people do? Now, they're human, they're sinners, they're nervous because God's right there in the mountain, they're impatient like we are. And they go to Aaron and they tell him, God's representative, to make an idol. The problem is, why didn't they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, what do we do? How would God instruct us in this situation? How should we think about obedience here instead of just doing whatever we want? No, they tell God's representative what they want. Of course, there's a million different parallels to the churches today. Uh, uh, People will do what they want to do and often they will tell their leaders what they want and perhaps even command them in a sense. I don't like this church because it doesn't do worship my way. Can we do things this way or we should do things this way? And then leaders are just as bad. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Rather than carefully considering that they are God's representatives, they must ask God what He wants in the worship service. So many parallels here. The people do what they want. And then their next step of sin is to decide to become polytheistic. A polytheism is the belief in many different gods. And so the people say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so they apply gods to this one object. These are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. But the key to understanding the wrong manner of worship is found in verse 5. Aaron built an altar before the golden calf and said that the next day that there would be a feast to the Lord, that is, Yahweh. He and the people knew that God is on the mountain. The Lord is very present in their midst. And so, very clearly, there wasn't any uh, doubt in their minds that God was right there on the mountain. And you see what they do is they set up this golden calf as a way in which to worship Yahweh. And that's why Aaron says, here is a feast to the Lord. The altar right there at the calf, but obviously the Lord's right there. No one questions that. So what they were seeking to do is to worship Yahweh through their own means. Worshiping the right God the wrong way. And so notice that the people here are doing everything wrong, but they are enjoying themselves. Sure, maybe there's some pangs of conscience there, uh, but at the same time, uh, they go on doing what they like to do. And they do this really in the name of God. And there is no change in their behavior until Moses comes down from the mountain and confronts them with their sin. Now that's very important to understand. They will go on and do what they like to do as long as there's no objective revelation. So as the story goes on past verse 14, Moses comes down from the mountain and he basically says to the people, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? He's giving them the law. He's saying, this is not how you are to worship God. You must worship God according to what he has commanded. After all, he has the law in his hands. And then they repent. Not all of them, but some of them repent. Coming over to Moses' side, God's side, that is the Levites. So you see, the point is here that the people had to worship God uh, in his way, not their own way. And they don't even understand really what they're doing 
until there's objective revelation, until God's representative comes in and say, says, this is the way to do it. Now, what do we mean exactly as we think about the church today in terms of how to worship God? Well, I, I think it's wise first that we have to define worship. Well, corporate worship is the action of honoring God through certain means because of who God is and what He has done for you in Christ. Let me repeat that. Corporate worship, we're not talking about private worship, we're talking about corporate worship, is the action of honoring God through certain means because of who He is and what He has done for you in Christ. Essential to this definition is the correct posture or the attitude of the Christian before God. Worship is not for the person. Worship is for God. It involves a person, but the object of worship is God. And so both the Old and New Testament words for worship emphasize the act of prostration, the act of expressing deference. Literally, the word means to bow down. So for an example, in Revelation chapter 5, thousands upon thousands of angels are worshiping the one who sits in the throne in the Lamb. That is Jesus. In verse 14, the four living creatures kept saying Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So it's a perfect picture of what it is to worship God. It's not about the person, it's about God. And in relation to God, you fall down before His holiness. The act or posture of expressing humility before God demonstrates respect to God. The act of expressing humility before God is done in response to what God has first done for His people. And so the elders in Revelation chapter 5 fall down and worship because of something Christ did. And so worship is not worship at all unless it focuses on Jesus Christ. So worship is not a feeling. It is an activity commanded by God. And while there will be at times feelings of joy, uh, feelings of comfort, uh, satisfaction, uh, you won't always have these. And uh, these feelings really are a consequence uh, of worship. They don't define worship. And so worship is marked by external action, not emotions. And this is another thing we must uh, communicate to our friends in some of these other churches where worship is seen as entertaining. It's very existential. It's very much about one's experience. But then you see many examples in the scriptures where people worship God and there's just the opposite of what you would expect. Example. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. David worships God right after his child dies. Now he understands that it's God's command to worship Him, even in His greatest time of suffering. But how do you think David felt during this time? I don't think he felt joyful or happy. But oftentimes, churches will design worship and say that the right kind of experience every time is this feeling of joy or happiness. And many times that can be just very superficial. No, it's not a feeling. And another example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, how do you think old Jacob here is feeling when he worships God? 
did he worship and then feel great? No, I mean, at this point, the guy's a really old codger. His body hurts. He's at the end of his life. Yes, he has faith in God, and that's why he worshiped, but he's not feeling so great right now. But is he worshiping rightly? Yes, and that is the point. Well, there are many other instances when God's people in the Scriptures worship while experiencing tremendous joy. Uh, you know, a great example would be maybe after a huge battle, people are feeling pretty good and they worship God and they continue to feel good. But the point is, worshiping God is essentially honoring God out of duty because who He is and what He has done for you in Christ. Well, that leads us here to some final thoughts on uh, designing correct worship. And uh, there are many different approaches, I suppose, but historically, uh, the church has made distinctions between elements, circumstances, and forms. Elements, circumstances, and forms. If we can distinguish between these things, we can understand what worship is all about. Well, what do we mean by uh, elements? We mean by elements those things that God requires in the worship service. And this helps in many different ways. For instance... God clearly commands that His people hear the preaching of the Word from the Scriptures. It is something that you should hear. That's very clear. We don't have the time right now to make this argument. But preaching is something that you hear. God speaks through His servant, even though the servant is weak and just a man. He speaks through him. You hear it. There is a work of the Holy Spirit to make you more like Christ in that process. So some churches today will say, well, why can't we have a skit? Or why can't we do this to uh, add to the experience? Why? Because God doesn't command that. And it's not a fair interpretation of preaching. A skit or a play is not preaching. Other elements, as you know, uh, sacraments, prayers, and so on, are commanded by God. Okay, so those are the elements, very simply, circumstances. So we have elements, circumstances, and forms. Circumstances. That is, how to perform or execute the elements. Now, circumstances, according to the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, is this. Those things common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So here, even when it says, uh, by common societies and human conventions, it's not saying throughout the Word of God when you think about circumstances. Rather, it's saying be wise as you think about uh, the elements of worship. So for instance, it's helpful to have a microphone that works and, and amplifies a voice if you have a weak voice. Um, a church can decide to do that or not. God doesn't say you must have a microphone or a stereo system. But if you have a really big church or a church that doesn't have the sort of dynamics that the voice can be heard clearly, then it's wise to have a microphone. Uh, Lights. Probably a good idea to have lights. That's a decision the church makes out of Christian prudence. Chairs, pews, rugs. I mean, all these sorts of things are examples of circumstances. But they affect very much the elements. Um, You can't have the supper unless you have a tray and cups and a table. That's a decision the church has to make in terms of how to do that. So you have elements, that is the stuff of worship, circumstances, the the stuff surrounding the elements, and finally forms. That is, uh, you must uh, decide on the content 
other elements. So, for instance, if you, well, not if, when you have prayers in the worship service, you have to decide what prayers you'll have. So, will you do uh, a standard prayer from uh, the Psalms, or will you do the Lord's Prayer? That's a decision churches must make. You must have prayers, but what prayer will you have? Well, finally, where do we get the elements? Uh, A great place to go is Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So three main categories here would be the apostles' teaching or preaching, uh, breaking the bread and the prayers. Okay, so the apostles' teaching or word. Uh, when we think about that, we think of the word elements in the service. That would be the reading, the instruction, and the preaching of the word. The absolution of sins is a proclamation of the word. Um, God's greeting and benediction. Those are all parts of the word uh, service. Breaking the bread, we would include breaking the bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and also the sacrament of baptism, since Christ commands it. Then finally, when we say the prayers, we may mean such things as the response of the people through prayers, offerings, vows, confessions, and singing. And so when you look at the situation this way, brothers and sisters, it's very clear what God wants. Now, we're human. We like to do certain things. Uh, We think it's fun to watch movies during the week, so why not do it in church? No. Because that's not what God commands. You can do a lot of different things during the week. You can be a part of a play, a theatrical production. You can make a movie. You can listen to all sorts of music and dance around. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, as long as it's not sinful. But those are things you do according to your desires and tastes. When you come into the worship service, it must be what God wants. He is honored, He is glorified, and you receive the best benefit when you do it according to God's way. So in conclusion, you know, the illustration I've used with you before is if you have a retirement party for Tim, who's worked at your uh, corporation all your life, the best thing to do for Tim is to ask, Tim, what do you want at your retirement party? So if it's a dinner dance, you ask him, what do you like to eat? What sort of music do you like? On and on it goes. But typically, of course, when we go to things like this, we think, great, Let's have XYZ uh, food and drink and music because we like those things and surely Tim does too. Well, Tim might not like those things. Ask Tim what he wants and when you do that, you see, he will really be honored and the party, the retirement party, will fulfill what it was designed to be, to honor Tim, not you. And so it is with worship. It's not about you. It involves you and you receive great benefits from the worship service. But you receive those benefits rightly when you honor God first. And so may He be honored through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.